Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello, designfootball.com blogger Jay here. You're about to listen to a podcast concerning football design in the 1970s. This podcast was recorded a few weeks ago when I was otherwise engaged and Chris Oakley and guest John Devlin very kindly stepped in. The podcast was clearly in expert hands, not least because Chris and John both existed in the 70s. My apologies to Chris and John for taking so long to get this published, but I'm sure you'll find what follows to be brilliantly insightful and certainly worth the wait. You may have also heard that Chris and Rich Johnson's The Football Attic podcast has returned and is now focused on football kits. This is excellent news, but remember, the designfootball.com podcast is the only one with little tassels on the bottom. Hello everyone and welcome to the designfootball.com podcast episode 15. Uh, my name's Chris Oakley and I'll be your stand-in host today while your regular host Jay takes a well-earned break. Uh, he'll be back with you again in the not-too-distant future. Meantime, I'll do my best not to undo, undo all the hard work he's put into this podcast over the last four months or so. Uh, today, it gives me great pleasure to welcome back an old friend of the designfootball.com podcast and that's John Devlin. Hello, John. Hello, Chris. Nice to speak to you. Good to talk to you. Uh, I trust you're well and uh, fighting fit and raring to go. I'm holding my own, yes. Very good. Well, what you do in your own time is neither here nor there. Ah, okay. Uh, I can't think of anyone better, actually, to accompany me as we embark on a trip down memory lane and uh, look back on the football kit design scene of the 1970s. Uh, For me, the 1970s is probably the greatest decade of all, I think, when it comes to football kit design, because there was just so much happening back then. Um, what's your take on the 70s? Best ever or one of the best or a bit of a mixed bag? What's your view on the 70s? No, I, I agree. I think it's one of the best. I mean, I have a soft spot for the for the 80s, I think. I think that's when things gathered pace. But really, the 70s, that's when we saw that difference between what was going on before to where we are now in you know 2016. So really, I think to look at the 70s, we actually need to, first of all, just look at the end of the 60s in a way. Mm. Because I think um, at that point, kits were fairly I wouldn't say they were dull but there were lots of you know single color you know we we talked recently about the single color kits we have at the moment don't we in, in especially yeah, in international uh-huh. football that was also going on at the end of the 60s and you know no trim hmm. all one color and so the 70s sort of kind of threw that out the window and said right let's go for it and and, yeah. and it all changed didn't it of course yeah absolutely yeah, it's just uh I, I just find that really for my for my money that you start off in the 70s you've got these plain in the UK at least you've got these kind of plain kits and then mid-70s things start kind of pepping up and we start seeing the kind of commercial potential for kits and then at the end of the 70s things kind of calm down a bit and it gets you get a more sort of refined style that we yeah. come to know in the 80s so you've got like three different eras in the one decade almost 
Definitely. And, and it's really it's really funny. I mean, I think there's two things that kind of influenced 70s kit design. One was sort of fashion in general, wasn't it? Because, I mean, we're talking the decade of lots of fabric, you know, extra fabric with massive collars and huge flares and stuff like that. There was all those things going on. And, of course, I think it was, I think it's Aston Villa that are credited with the first kind of wing inset collar that Umbro produced for them. And I think in 69, yep. I think that was the first oh, right. one that came out. And of course, prior, we were, the 60s was all about crew necks, wasn't it? It was all about little neat yes. and tidy round necks. And I think Villa accredited as, as bringing that back. And of course, no surprises, it was Umbro that sort of instigated that. But also, someone told me recently, a big influence was the um, colour telly, colour TV coming in. Well, indeed, yes. I was going to come on to that, yes. Yeah, and I think that then sort of thought, OK, let's get a bit more flamboyant. And I think the 70s... I mean, I think you and I are old enough to remember all of the 70s, aren't we? Pretty much. Yeah, and I, think I, was, it, I was born in 71, so I'm just about there. <laughs> oh, oh, really? oh, well, I'm six, I was in six, born in 69, so I don't remember the, you know, the first bit. But no. I think it was, in many parts, it was quite a beige decade, wasn't it? It was very, very brown. <laughs> and I think this colour on the, on the pitch really was a massive relief to that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, yeah, that's. I think that's when companies like Admiral, who I'm sure we'll be talking about in greater length uh, very shortly, really sort of thought, well, now that people are starting to get colour TV, buy colour TV sets for their house, now let's give them something to really look at, yeah. something that's eye-catching, and that's when things moved on so much. And I think that can't be underestimated. That's when, and we started then to see um, sashes, didn't we, appear, and... and yes. It, even Admiral, even you know the West Ham. So rather than just having the old traditional, you know, body and sleeves, yokes came in, didn't they? And and things yeah. like this, and chevrons, and all. And you know, it's something really exciting did happen. And I think you know, modern kit design owes its uh, origins to that period. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, there's, there's, I mean, the, the 60s as a football kit uh, design decade was uh, all very well, but lots of kits that were black, white or various shades of grey. That's all I'll say. It's, uh, <laughs> yes. you know, uh, exactly. At least that's how I remember it. Um, <laughs> anyway, let's, let's take that trip down uh, memory lane. As I say, well, I, I thought we'd start right at the very beginning of the 1970s with the, with the 1970 World Cup, which, I mean, we're talking about colour TV, the yeah. first colour World Cup, essentially, in a, a joyous... Uh, festival of football, as many people have said in the past, a really tremendous competition, one of the best, if not the best, depending on who you ask. Um, from an England perspective, uh, of course, um, England turned up in Mexico to play in all that heat and humidity, sporting what was on the face of it, a very regular, ordinary kit. But in fact, uh, Alf Ramsey had seen to it personally that um, they had a kit that was designed mm. using Airtex technology. Now, I think a lot of people, it's, it's almost like a throwaway term these days. Oh, it's Airtex, it's Airtex. You know, this, this fabric which has got lots of tiny holes uh, in it. Um, and essentially that, was, that, that made up the England shirt that mm. was worn in, in, that, in that decade. But for something so that we, we, we almost dismiss as, as being fairly ordinary these days, you have to say john back in 1970 that was a that i mean essentially that's the that's your foundations then of sort of performance fabrics the sort of stuff yeah. you know today that all your nikes and adidas is coming out with i mean that was that was a big deal actually wasn't it definitely and, and it's interesting that um you know sir ralph ramsey was involved with that because of course he he was always credited he always used to appear on umbro logos on the shirts in the 60s you know mm -hmm. designed 
either designed by Alf Ramsey or with Alf Ramsey. And I don't know if it's a bit like the um, the uh, football players that did their, their columns in Shoot and Match magazine, where they, they obviously <laughs> didn't actually write it. But it's interesting that even then his name was linked with you know football kit design and technology. But yeah, I mean, I, I remember being at school in the seventies and lads coming in with. Um, I think it was mainly American football tops that are in the, mm. the kind of tea bag oh. fabric, as we called it. Yes. And, you know, the <laughs> excitement of looking at this stuff, what's this all about? So you can imagine if, uh, if the internet had been invented in 1970, how much talk there would have been amongst us football <laughs> kit nerds about air techs. You, you just, yeah. you know, it would have, would have been incredible. But no, it was, yeah. it was a very much a forerunner. Um, and of course, the other thing as well, England went out there with a pale blue away shirt, didn't they? Rather than, yes. you know, again, thinking about heat uh, to combat kind of the effects that they, they thought the red shirts would have. But yeah, so mm. you could see that something was beginning to, beginning to happen, couldn't you, I think? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, things are sort of starting to move on a bit. And and um, like I said, I mean, have you ever? I was going to ask actually. Have you ever seen an air tech shirt, like a, a soccer football shirt, um, in real life? Because I've only ever seen pictures on on the web, and it, they probably don't do it justice. But the but the fabric looks terribly kind of paper thin and a little bit rough and a bit sort of basic. But I mean, well, well yeah. I mean, I don't know if um, it really was or not. I have. I mean, it's going to, it's going to sound really uh, sort of. I don't know what the word is to say this now. I have actually seen and held one of England's Airtech shirts from have that you? period um, wow. with uh, uh, Shaky Hat, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was just amazing how much it kind of it shrunk up when you hold it now. It's like a little child size. It seems to have <laughs> shrunk in shrunk some in kind of way. But yeah, it's um, it was. It's not, it's not very sophisticated, I guess, when you look at it now. Mm-hmm. It's quite. It is quite. It is what it is. But it's yeah. at the time it would have. You know, I wonder how much difference it actually made. But there's there's definitely they uh, yeah a different a different look and feel to it. And of course we've got to remember. I must say as well is that Airtex the brand is spelled A E R T E X. But I yep. think it's quite commonly referred to as A I R T E X, isn't it? As if it's like <laughs> right. Hoover and Hoover kind of thing. You know, it's. I think it's <laughs> yeah, one of yeah. one of those scenarios. Yeah. Um, it's it's actually an interesting story. Um, uh, all kinds of things to discuss here. Um, first point I'll take just quickly because you just mentioned it, which is you said I, I wonder kind of to what extent it actually made a difference. Um, there is um, if you go to airtex.com, and um, I'll admit it, I just did in the last sort of forty eight hours because I'm doing my research. I've done um, it in the last forty eight seconds, actually, Chris. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm on it well, now. Well, they cheat, cheat. Um, <laughs> uh, there is a video on there which you're going to have to watch later, John. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to go on with the podcast, so you won't get a chance to watch it now. There is a there is a video, and um, I think it's a short film that may have been made by the BBC or somebody like that um, on oh, another okay. pro- on one of their programs, and it's just like um, it's a short excerpt from it. And it's a kind of a potted history worth looking at. Actually, it's all about Definitely. how Airtex came about. And um, in it, you will see that there's an interview. I don't even know when the when the video was done, but I'm guessing sometime in the last five to ten years or something. And they've got an interview there with Dave Watson, former England defender, uh, Man City. I'm trying to think of the other teams he played for. Was State, it Norwich? Was it something like that. Norwich, I think. Yes. Or the, actually, there was a second Dave Watson, and he oh, definitely played for okay. Norwich. So uh, whether oh, I'm not sure. Got... Anyway. But it was the Dave Watson mm. who played regularly for England in the seventies. Yeah. Let's put it that way, and um, and he rather pleasingly has still got lots of old 
uh, shirts uh, either of his or which he swapped with opponents in international matches. And you see him getting them okay. all out of his black bin bag, which I'm sure is probably not the best way of storing these <laughs> things, but I'll let him off for that. But he was actually talking about the Airtex fabric, and um, and he said it was an absolute joy to wear those shirts because they did feel so nice and light and delicate. And wow. The material was wonderful, and he said, and it, it, it all, all, he said all the players used to love what, wearing those Airtex shirts, which kind of goes against what I'm sort of trying to gauge from these fuzzy okay. pictures on, on Google Images. Um, as you say, and that look a bit like shriveled up. These, these, some of these things. But um, so apparently, it was really good. And he said that um, in getting getting into the latter part of the seventies, other companies came along that tried to replicate the effect, if you like, of of Airtex. But essentially, they were making sort of nylon shirts. It was like knitted nylon almost. And he right. said those are terrible. He said they used to um, feel heavier, more coarse, and um, and dare I say, it used to make some of the players' nipples bleed. I'm sorry to get caught about this, but he said that they were so rough that the players had to you know, put plasters on their chest oh, to stop all this rubbing. Yeah. So he said to wear Airtex was just a, an absolute joy. So it just goes to show. So the Airtex fabric then was different from a, a generic kind of teabag AIR Airtex fabric mm. that other companies would produce. Well, yeah, they all they all got into it because, and here's okay. one of the other points I was going to raise is that I always thought, going back to the whole England thing, is that it was um, because the kits were made by Umbro, so I thought this was a technology that Umbro had invented uh, mm. or even developed, but that's not the case, um, as I discovered. In fact, it was. Um, I think the story goes that it was um, the Airtex company was created by uh, a gentleman called Lewis Haslam. He was a Lancashire mill owner, and um, cutting the sort of story a bit short but basically he was out one day in the late 1800s as you do uh, Mm. with his wife and it was a cold day and his wife was wearing these sort of like crocheted gloves almost very open lots of big holes running through it Um, and he held his wife's hand and her hand was very hot and he says why is your hand hot and it was then that the penny dropped and he thought ah I get it it's air that's getting trapped in the kind of warp and weft of the material and that's when okay. the penny dropped and he thought right I'm going to set up a company and I'm going to develop this whole notion of air getting trapped which gets warmed up by the body and therefore keeps whatever part of the body it is warm and so therefore Airtex is a company in its own right but in 1970 it was Umbro who used their technologies uh, used their uh, patent if you like and as a partnership. Incorporate it into their own shirt. Yes, exactly, as a partnership mm. and, and uh, put it into their own shirts. Um, so, um, and I, I just always assumed it was Umbro. There wasn't a company called Airtex. Turns out I was wrong. Um, so, it was, so it was actually used to keep things warm, did you? Well, that's, and this is the next point I was going to come on to. Okay. <laughs> Ironically, of course, England wore it in their shirts in 1970 to keep them cold or cooler, let's say. Um, whereas, in fact, originally it was designed as a way of keeping uh, your body warm by trapping the air in amongst the fabric. And um, But it's one of those amazing bits of technology that has a kind of flip-flop effect, depending on how you sort of, you know, whether it's hot, it keeps you cool and vice versa. So it's a cl- it's very it's like clever a technology. It's like a flask then in order to in some purposes. <laughs> yes, exactly. They should have called it thermos technology or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it. And done it in like a tartan pattern. That would have been great, yeah. wouldn't it? <laughs> see, and, and you see there, John, that's why you are the designer in these things. You've got the brain for this sort of stuff. Wonderful. It's, it, it's funny, you talk, I mean, talk about what Dave Watson was saying. I, I remember, oh, what, what cup final was it? Was it 79? Arsenal Man United, is that 79 yes. it was, wasn't it? Yes, the five-minute cup final, yes. 
I think Arsenal were wearing um, air techs again then. So, and I think if, when you look at pictures of the shirt close up, it almost seemed the holes were even bigger. It's almost, mm. you know, the proportion of fabric and holes was, was, I don't know, I don't know if it changed at all. But it's, um, I think, possibly the last case. I mean, obviously, we see the historical kind of like uh, children of air techs in, in virtually every football shirt today, don't we, with panels yeah. of holy fabric and, you know, under the arms and what yeah, have you. Sure. But I remember at, back in Mexico again, um, 86 with England, they had the same, essentially the same design of shirt, but again, in an air techs fabric. So maybe, mm. maybe in the early 70s, maybe the layman wouldn't have noticed but it's the, um, as I say, if the internet had been around, we'd have, we'd have been all over it, wouldn't we? You can imagine. All over it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And as you say, John, I mean, the uh, air text technology filtered through, eventually filtered through to domestic English football throughout the 70s. Even now, if you look hard enough, you'll find on Google and places like that um, images of people like Man City players from about 1973 wearing a, um, a, a, a... For the life of me, I don't see why you'd need air techs other than to keep you warm in England because you're yeah. not going to get like Guadalajara temperatures and humidity in um, <laughs> Newcastle, for instance. No. Um, but but there it is. But it did filter through and was still, as you say, was still being used many years later until uh, companies sort of stylized and developed um, advances on this kind of thing. But... Um, you know, 1970, not, not necessarily a year that you would associate with great innovation, but it was there. Um, Interesting, well, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, if we're talking about innovation and experimentation, I suppose leading on from that, you get into the early 70s. And another thing that come along in about 19... I'm going to just refer to my notes now. Was it 1971? Um, mm. The introduction of sock garters, or indeed sock tags, um, uh, as uh, seen at Leeds United, um, was it that a wonderful early? thing. Okay. That early, yeah, yeah, and last worn in 1974, so a three-year period that was worn, that they were worn for. Um, a, a wonderful relic, John, of, of uh, football from from a, a bygone era, sort of thing which you think like, you'd never see again. But it's just. I don't know. I, I, I sometimes find it really wonderful to sort of see someone invent something which is fundamentally useless but has its day in the in the spotlight, and yeah. um, and, and and obviously iconic and and joined at the hip with Leeds United, pretty much the best club team in in England at the time, really. Well, that's interesting because I always thought the sock tags were brought in by Admiral. But if it came in a bit earlier with with Leeds, it would have been Umbro that introduced them. It would have been Umbro, absolutely. That's right. Yeah, it was. Um, although I think the the sock tags themselves were made by a company who's called is it Milita or Mileta oh, okay. or something like that. But if, but yeah, if, that, yeah. I think something changed in the early seventies. I've got a few old, a few old programs. Blimey, I've got about four thousand. But I've got a few oh, old really? programs, and there's quite a few, and they talk about. Um, a couple of them talk about rules and regulations of, of kits. And one of the ones was the idea of chain shorts, the fact that you had to wear a different colour pair of shorts to your opponents, which is something mm. that goes in cycles now. But even then, you look at shorts, and shorts started to have numbers on, didn't they, as well? There was a brief period where yep. shorts would have numbers on the front in the early 70s. So I think there was some kinds of... There was something going on. And of course, the sock tags. The, the main purpose, I guess, was to have the numbers flapping on the side. Again, yeah. for what? For, but well, was it a practical use, or was it just flamboyance well, and showing off? Or well, I, I have it on good authority that the the, the sock garters, as they were originally called, were um, an invention of a guy called Paul Trevelyan, and um, he 
um, used to go along and watch Tottenham with his son, I think it was, or maybe it was his dad. I can't remember now what the story right. was. But anyway, um, I think it was his dad. And um, he used to hang around in the hope of um, getting some kind of souvenir, like a, a, an autograph from the players and stuff like that. And it just seemed to be that for kids going along that wanted autographs and such like, there was very little opportunity to get anything like that. So his dad... Um, I think it was, came up with the idea and sort of thought, why not make these little tags that stitch into the socks? And then that way, when the players come off the pitch, they can then take the tags off, sign them and hand them over to fans. What a nice idea. A nice idea and a bit of PR and and keeping uh, in good contact with with the youngsters and all that sort of thing. So, And and the story is, I didn't know this again until very recently, but... um, he actually pitched the idea to Tottenham first because that's kind of who he supported. And they said, sorry, not interested. So he then thought, next best thing, best team in the country, Leeds United, will go up there and ask them if they're interested. And they knew a good thing when they saw it. And they said, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll take those. And that's how they came to be with Leeds. It could have been Tottenham. You know, it's funny. It's almost like a forerunner of the um, Premier League names on the back of the shirts. This idea of, of you know, your heroes. This is, this is your, mm. the, your player. It's that kind of connection between hero status on the pitch and fans again isn't it there's that bringing the two yeah. together a little bit yeah and you know player identification and i think that same it. guy actually had a hand in leeds having names on the back of the player track suits as well for exactly the oh, same there you reason. go because i mean so practically practically i know that there was there were home and away sock tags which crikey oh just excites me beyond belief the fact <laughs> that they have different colored sock tags but <laughs> Practically, there would have been no use, would they? The, you know, no. the ref or the wouldn't have looked down at the socks to see what number they were. It would have been, but it's interesting. It's interesting. And you mentioned Paul Trevelyan. That name rings a bell. He wasn't the guy who did the. Um, you are the ref. He's, is he not an artist, Trevelyan? Do you know, I'm not sure, but that is ringing vague bells. I think you might be onto something there, John. We'll have to check that at some point. Yeah, I'm not sure. But so, so Rigged and Sock so Sock Tags really were not a Umbro Admiral whoever. They were this nope. this other company. Um and it was a club thing rather than a a sportswear deal, if yep. you like, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Remember it. Scotland Scotland had them as well. And I think Sunderland yes. maybe? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Oh, Scotland definitely. I'm trying to Scotland think actually def- for Sunderland. But no, it's sort of an independent thing. They just went straight to the club and they said, Yep, okay, we'll have those. And as you say, I think um Admiral didn't turn up at Leeds until December 73, if memory That's serves right. right. So and they kind of, it would have been Umbro at the time. Yeah, but they. But I think Admiral continued with them, didn't they? They obviously kept... Well, oh, yeah. In the Admiral era, the club kind of carried on with them. I did see one recently, I think, um, on a Leeds page, and they look, they look pretty... They look pretty manky now, I believe. You can see them now. It's, it's almost like, um, you know, like a jock strap. It's like a strap. And it's just a horrible little, horrible little items. I don't. Know, I'm sure some have lasted better than others, but they. Yes. They did. It did look a little tired. The one I saw, if I remember. Yeah, they look a little bit sort of faded and 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 they also had little. Uh, had little tassels on the bottom, didn't they, as well? Just yeah, so, extra yeah, 70s cheesiness. But isn't that just the 70s? If you could describe the 70s in one phrase, it is having little tassels on the bottom because <laughs> everything was a bit... If it wasn't literally like that, it was symbolically like that, Symbolically, wasn't it? yeah, absolutely. But that's, uh, but that's what's so fun about 70s kits. And, of course, I think from a fashion point of view, don't don't they say that the decades, it doesn't really kick in till about... You know, three or four years in. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So, seventies yeah. fashion didn't really happen until about seventy-three or whatever. But I think it was all about that little bit of flamboyance, isn't it? And and yeah. f- flappy collars and uh, 
and a little bit extra. It was all like, yeah, that'll do, but let's add a little bit more, yeah. bit more, An bit more. Or you know. something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're listening to the designfootball.com podcast, the only one with little tassels on the bottom. Uh, <laughs> I think we've just come up with a slogan for Jay. He'll have to thank us for that and maybe pay it, us I'm, for I'm, it later. Do you know what? I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, um, moving on from sock tags, I mean, there was other kind of innovation going on uh, around that time, although you may not have always kind of seen it, because some of these things that were experimented with in around about 73-ish, uh, were, or maybe even earlier than that, were fleeting and didn't kind of catch on. Therefore, um, exposure for those ideas didn't really kind of reach a wider audience. But I'm thinking here, we're talking about kind of numbers. I mm. mean, um, we've got, um, I think, Halifax... Uh, they tried to have numbers on the front of their shirts in 1971, Halifax Town. I uh, okay. don't think they stuck with that very long. And this is as a result of a, a, a blog post I did on the Football Attic um, a couple of years ago, I think it was, and mm. stumbling upon these things quite quite coincidentally, really. But it's amazing what you find when you start digging around. Um, they had, like, orange shirts with the, with a blue number on the front, which looked a bit peculiar. Oh, rings, rings a bell, yeah. But actually chimes with the early days of the NASL and... U.S. soccer fans will be coming on to that as well shortly, so we'll come back to that. Um, Man City, as I'm sure a lot of people know, had numbers on the sleeves of their shirt around about the sort of, of uh, Malice and era. So yeah. they were doing that. And one other thing which I definitely hadn't seen before um, up until the, I did this article that I mentioned was um, in 1974, Middlesbrough actually had numbers on the back of their socks, if you can imagine such a thing. It was actually on the back of the turnover of the socks. And I just, I found this completely coincidentally. I was watching, I, I found a, a video, I was doing some research about Middlesbrough for some reason, and um, I don't mean that sound as derogatory as it probably did. <laughs> um, but, um, and I just saw this very uh, quick sort of image. I thought, what was that on the back of that person's socks? And, and, you, and you see, I don't know if they were like numbers made out of felt and then were kind of sewn into the back, but it was actually on the back of the turnover, on the back of the socks. And I didn't realise that. No, there are images. If you're listening to this podcast on acast.com, which is very likely, then um, the whole point of the, why the podcast is there is that you get assisted, um, you get assistance rather from imagery, so you can actually see some pictures flashing up. So we'll try and get that loaded up um, so you can see what we're talking about there. Um, I don't know how long they persisted with that, Middlesbrough, but um, I mean, again, um, really nice original idea, but then you think, why? <laughs> Because, yeah, there was definitely referees. If, they, if, if the referees want a number, they'll just look on the back of your shirts, surely. Well, that's something to explore. I mean, I think you know we are taught when you mentioned about the sock tags and the fact about players giving them out, and you know, and I mentioned this link between players on the pitch and and, and the fans. Maybe it was yeah. the start of this superstar football era, where yep. you know having that. Yeah, flamboyant, especially from the the Man City and, and the Melchester Rovers as well. I'm sure you remember having yeah, the shirt numbers on their sleeves. You know, that's quite that's a real. Um, it's making the, the shirts really personal to those players because, of course, back then there wasn't the great squad rotation that we see now. So you knew that mm. number six for whoever you knew who roughly it was going to be every week, didn't you? It was that, that yeah. kind of culture. But I, I also remember as well. I wasn't aware of the Middlesbrough thing at all, but mm. I do remember. That's very obscure. For a brief, brief period, I think it was when they had the old Penguin-style shirts, um, Birmingham City, their mm -hmm. shorts had the players' initials embroidered on the shorts. Yes, I've so seen you, that. I think. Yes, now you so you'd have it. a yes. you know a TF for Trevor Francis and you know whoever. <laughs> That's right. 
so that was again you know we're looking at these things being almost um personalized uh and and a big thing make being made of that but i remember i don't i vaguely remember the halifax seeing a picture of that but i know coventry city did it because there's a picture of the famous admiral tramline shirt with a yeah. squat with a shirt number in the front of that as well oh really be, oh, okay yeah i'll try and i'll try and dig that out but yeah i know oh, that that's... was that was around that's bound to be a Jimmy Hill innovation because the great man was always a, an innovator for that kind of thing. Um, Sorry, Chris, I think innovation, I'm just pouncing on that. I think that's probably the key word for the 70s. It, it was a yeah. real innovation, more so arguably than perhaps any other decade. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, I, when you mentioned uh, Trevor Francis and the, and the stitched uh, sort of initials on the shorts, you just triggered off another memory. Didn't Peter Shilton, when he was at Leicester, have uh, like an all-white strip, and he had his initials, didn't he, on, on his somewhere on like, near the badge or something? That's or a personal right. logo, that, I think. That was something to do with that. Um, and yet, you would have thought Peter Shilton. I always imagined to be quite a, a what's the word? Not um, a bit of a Conventional. quiet character. I didn't see him as a George Best style, look at me kind of guy. But I don't know. Yeah. I'm trying to remember who would have done his, who would have made his kit at the time. I think it was when he was at Leicester, and yeah, it was. If I'm just trying to rack my brain. It's, I think it was. It wasn't like a monogram. I think it was an actual sort of stylized PS logo. Yeah, right. It, <laughs> he, yeah, his go. own personal logo. Fantastic. But when did um? I know we slight deviation from kits as such, but it is related. <laughs> when did Alan Ball wear his white boots? Was that 70s or was that earlier? That was 70s. That would. Uh, I certainly was wearing those in about 71, as I recall. Um, Right at the start of the decade, if not maybe in the late sixties, even I'm not sure. I'd have to confirm, but definitely in as early as seventy one, I seem to recall. So we're looking again at um, an era where things are becoming more, more uh, identities becoming more important, isn't it? And people are yeah, players are beginning to kind of yeah, personality is becoming more driven. And in a way, that kind of you can see how that links into Admiral creating, you know, the replica kit market and, and bespoke designs. So rather than just wearing an all red top, it was an all red top with this and that and bells mm-hmm. and whistles and, and tassels. It was a, you can see kind of how that was a natural progression. There was something definitely something in the air at that time. Definitely, yes, yeah, yeah. So many um, things you thought you'd forgotten about and then suddenly all these things come to mind. But um, And, you know, Peter Marinello, there were other players as well that used to like wearing white boots as well, weren't there? So it's just... Um, okay. I just, um, I mean, <laughs> I shudder to think what pl- people like Brian Clough would have said about players wearing white boots. I don't think you'd have gone <laughs> very far if you, was, you were in his team wanting to wear white boots. Um, but um, anyway, so... That's that. And then, I mean, if we're getting into sort of mid-70s, inevitably, inevitably, we have to mention Admiral because they were the big, they were the big deal um, when they arrived. And um, as I say, I think their first deal was Leeds at the very end, sort of midstream, really, in the middle of the season, um, taking over from Umbro around about Christmas time, 1973, and and stayed with them from that point onwards. Um, I think if anybody ever was to ask me, what's your favourite football kit manufacturer ever I think I'd have to go for Admiral because they just sort of took the game by the scruff of the neck and and sort of said we've got a chance to really kind of move things forward as we said earlier on the advent of colour TV and so on and they but the thing is they could have only moved things on slightly they could have just had very sort of understated Mm. styling but somebody at Admiral or some people clearly thought no we're gonna we're gonna really like take a huge leap forward now with our designs and I mean, they were just incredible, mm. weren't they, John? I mean, what's yeah. not to like about Admiral? <laughs> oh, it was. Do you know? We mentioned earlier, Chris. There's this, there's a there's a documentary about Admiral coming out soon that mm. will hopefully really clear 
a lot of the mystery up and explain what was going on there. But yeah. from a from a design point of view, yes, massive, massive innovation. But of course, we can't ignore from a business point of view what um, what they did in terms of what Bert Patrick did. He you know he created a whole industry. Every replica shirt you buy today arguably is off the back of what admiral did in you know that that early 70s period replica sure. shirts did exist to an extent but they were very kind of informal um casual affairs and and again i've i've i quote this so many times you go you go back through any old 70s program in the early part especially and you look down the list of souvenirs and memorabilia on the uh, the shop page and you'll see shirt it'll be about you know, three fifths of the way down after yep. ties, pens, panties, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> you know, the shirt just wasn't considered sacred as we as we do now. Okay. So, I mean, the fact that they said, "Do you know what? We're going to make this shirt so desirable. We're going to want every every kid in the country is going to want to wear the same shirt as their heroes." And of course, that's where the design came from because they thought, "Well, we've got to make them copyrightable." So that, yep. you know, not every Tom, Dick and Harry can knock out their own West Ham shirt or, you know, Coventry shirt or whatever. And it kind of came, it came from that. Adding, adding colour TV and adding a design ethos which was like, make it as shocking and bold and colourful and big and everything else. And there you go, that's the Admiral, Admiral recipe. But it, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's inc it is incredible, the legacy that they've left. Um, yeah, but and that's you know, what makes it all the more frustrating that they're not more sort of prominent these days. But maybe they are bouncing back a little bit. They're starting to kind of get another sort of small foothold in in the market at the moment in one or two places. Um, yeah, so. and they've they've, they've had these little rebirths now and again. I mean, I think yeah. even in the Premier League first season, was there three Admiral teams? Maybe four? I can't remember. Something like that. Yeah. Definitely, you know, two or three. Um, I'd love to see them back, and they, they mm. deserve to be there. They just, but I think they're at the moment and slightly off topic. They're kind of stuck a little bit in the the retro heritage and the current. Yeah. I don't know quite where they want to be placed. But in terms of what they did in the seventies, I mean, can you imagine it? Seeing these shirts come out, people, you, either, you know. We look back on it now, and it's like, oh yeah, okay. But at the time, it must have been earth shattering to the average fan. <laughs> Absolutely, I mean we we did the we, as you as you know <laughs> um, last year we did uh, a, a special project called the Fifty Greatest Football Shirts Ever, um, which has I'm sure been mentioned on this podcast in previous episodes. And um, mm. on one of the one of the shirts listed was um, I think nominated at least by me, if not other people, which was the West Ham shirt in the late that they had in the late seventies. And I remember actually describing it at the time and, and thinking. What must people have thought when that came along? It was just exactly as you just said, um, John. You know, you sort of think people, especially West Ham fans, that can be really <laughs> kind of, you know, uh, upfront with their views. Let's say, and um, and to, to, to have seen West Ham players walking out onto a pitch suddenly with a shirt that was almost half and half, um, sort of yeah. light blue and claret, rather than the whole of the the whole of the chest being claret and only the sleeves being blue. And that's before you get on to chevrons. Admiral logos running down the sleeves and and um, trim on the collars and also there was so much extra detail yeah, and so yeah. many of their kits and that's therein you have the stark difference between their kits and what had gone before just the level of detail and the and the effort that had gone into making it special and almost you know the the the, the businessman in you could say well that was that was to make them you know so that so nobody else could copy them. It was a copyrighted design that, of course, we mustn't forget that Admiral paid each club at the time a substantial sum of money to 
to have that ex- exclusivity, that. which because that that yep. relationship didn't exist before. Um, mm. But yeah, it was. But it was. They also gave value to the kids, didn't they? I mean, I know the shirts were arguably expensive, but when you look at a shirt and it's got little logos on and it's got multicolored <laughs> trim, it's that added value. Yeah, and of course, yeah. prior to then, the football shirt market was dominated by Buckter and Umbro. So for mm. Admiral to come on, talk about raise the uh, raise the bar. Everyone then had to another cliche. I forgive me, up their game and um, to try and catch up with what Admiral had started. Didn't they? it was a real yeah massive change, massive change. No, I was just going to say, John. I mean, just a purely hypothetical question, but I'm just thinking if Admiral hadn't done what they did uh, in moving things on design-wise, in the way that they did uh, in the mid-70s, how many years do you think it would have been before another company like Umbro or Buckter would have you know, reached... Uh, I'm probably not explaining myself very well here, but... No, you know, I know what you mean. It, yeah, they, they presumably would have taken far longer to have made that leap forward because they their designs were much more understated, wouldn't they? I mean, it would yeah. we, we could have still been, in, in, in quotes, in the dark ages as far as kit design in this country is concerned um much more than we are now if it wasn't for admiral just giving everything a huge shake and saying of course we've got to move things on now definitely and i i think it would have happened because you 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 know you can't underestimate um with sportswear especially with football what was going on on the high street as well so Mm. You're looking at glam rock as well, and all these things. There's no coincidence; they all coincide. You're looking at glam rock completely coming out of the, the you know, the denim mm. and long black uh, trench coats of the of the late '60s. Mm. So there was a there was a, a difference there on what what young people were wearing, what people were wearing in general. Color was coming in much much more, but I think it would have taken them a couple of years longer. It needed somebody with um, Bert Patrick's vision. And sort of business acumen and and you know forward thinking to really 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 shake that up, so sure. they, they would have got there, but it would have taken them a little while, I think. Um, yeah. but, but of course, the biggest thing with Admiral, which we've kind of not said, is the the logos. Yes, <laughs> you know, and I think in the continent, and I think you've you've, you've mentioned this, you probably know a little bit more about this than me. I think on the continent, logos were appearing at that time, weren't they, on shirts? I think even oh, yeah. even some sponsors. So. Europe was a little bit ahead of us, but we—I think there were Umbro logos on shirts, but they were they were way way down, and where the shirt was tucked into the shorts, a little printed motif there. Yeah, well, I was, I, think... I was actually wondering about this because uh, sorry to jump in there. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say um, I was reading somewhere somebody sort of said, "Oh, you know, Ad- Admiral rather um, when they started off, they were the first company to have a visible logo on a shirt commercially." Let's say specifically visible so that you knew who who made, made the shirt it. but i but i was sort of thinking i'm sure liverpool in around about 73 had a little umbro diamond in, albeit in black it probably wasn't as visible as the admiral logos were but i'm sure they had a little black diamond logo somewhere but if you I could be misremembering yeah i think it's um if i remember correctly in the in the even in the very very early seventies, tracksuits would have a little umbro logo, and of course the umbro logo then was was a, still a diamond, but it was kind of filled in in the middle, wasn't it? It was, yes, it was right. slightly different. Um, the tracksuits would have them, and I believe the odd gold goalie shirt would crop up, would would turn out with a little logo on. Right. But it was Admiral that started it. They were the first, but you can imagine once it was almost like, how did the FA allow this when they'd never allowed this before? But mm. somehow they did. And of course, as soon as they did it once, I think what you then started to see 
almost and this is just my imagination umbra almost kind of like recalling all the shirts and frantically mm. sticking logos on because <laughs> i thought well hang on we can do this now but mm. it was admiral that opened that um that floodgate so yes. i don't know whether i don't know whether they they broke the rules and the, and the league kind of uh you, you know agreed to do it or whether they they were aware of this change but certainly once they'd done it the other companies weren't slow to to pounce on it and, and of course you no. can't blame them I was just going to say, I think the, the re, I, I think that probably the FA and the football league would have been quite complicit in it because they were pro- must have sort of thought to themselves, well, okay, this is actually generating a lot of uh, revenue for clubs and it's kind of raising the um, level of um, you know publicity and exposure that football in this country is getting. So in in a, in a kind of commercial way, it's actually probably a good thing because it's raising the profile of of English football. So we might as well sort of let them go along with it as long as they don't get sort of too crazy but then but then admiral yeah. then sort of said leave it with us and next thing you know you've got admiral logos all the way down the sleeves and things but uh, which was remarkable really we've gone from um feast to um famine to feast there haven't we you know no logos yeah. at all and all of a sudden there's more than you can possibly count on a shirt <laughs> but well, I, again we... I was just gonna, sorry i was just gonna say certainly the england shirt with which admiral had a hand in in 74 yeah the first england shirt to have a, an admiral logo but anyway sorry gone john well no if by sheer coincidence, and people will think we've sat down and working from a script here, I'm sure they will. <laughs> so exactly what I was going to say is that we're, we're in the early 70s, we're still looking at the importance of managers and mm. managers, what, what influence they had around the whole club. And of course, we're looking at Don Revy again with Leeds. Yep. I mean, he was vital to that Admiral deal. And of course, mm-hmm. surprise, surprise, vital to the England deal a year later. That's right. So again, you're, you're seeing that these managers were much more involved with with the sportswear and the clothing and everything else than perhaps people would have given them credit for. But again, another shrewd businessman. It was all it was all part of business football. You know, I guess the anti the 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 the, uh, the purist would say that's when commercialism started coming into sport into football, which of course it did. Mm-hmm. But as you said, it it was going to happen at some point, I guess. So yeah. And I mean, you know, clubs need revenue to in order to buy better players, in order to generate more money, and so on and so on and yeah, so forth. Yeah. Um, but as I know, you've said on on other podcasts, uh, like the fifty greatest football shirts thing that I mentioned earlier on that we did before. Um, you know, you've said before that players kind of need to feel good in the kit mm. they're wearing to bring out that extra, maybe extra one or two percent to sort of make them play better. And and in the early sort of, or mid seventies, at least. There must have been lots of young players, stars of the day, who obviously were outside of football used to like dressing in fashionable clothes, who must have been thinking, why are we still wearing this old-fashioned stuff? And we're yeah. probably crying out for a company to come along and say, we're going to give you something a bit more fashionable than that, something that's a much more yeah. in tune with this modern era. And and so they would have like just you know jumped to the chance to wear new stuff like that, I'd, I'd have thought. Oh, well, it's, it's like going to a party, isn't it? And going to, you know, as a, as a kid, going to a party and wearing, you know, really out of date clobber, and everyone else is wearing the latest gear. You think, oh, crikey, I feel like a fool. It's that kind of <laughs> that kind of thing. And I've yeah. I've seen it even fairly recently when you started, we started to get see the um, uh, sort of skin tight kids coming back in more fitted shirts and going to a game I won't name the opponents for fear of embarrassing them um, watching Southend United play and Southend looked fairly trim they were wearing these you know Nike team wear stuff and the other team turned up wearing sort of like late 90s really baggy shirts and they looked ridiculous because there was that clash of 
out of date fashion there. So you, yeah, you're, you're quite right. It was a, a massive leap in it. But I think it's it is that, and it is that that um, forward thinking and that business acumen. That's what that's what started it all off. And you know, I guess Don Revy has his has his part to play in that as well. Absolutely. Um, I was just going to say another hy- hypothetical question here is a, um, a an impish one, if you like. Um, let's say, John, uh, we have a situation where uh, you're watching the news one night and they they uh, tell you that there's a huge asteroid that's about to collide with Earth and, and civilization is about to be wiped out. Uh, however, when you hear this news, you happen to be um, in the uh, uh, football shirt museum and you have a chance <laughs> to grab three shirts three oh. animal shirts to save for, for for all eternity for for a new civilization to be created which are you going to be your three favorite admiral shirts to go for oh now this is the point when i wish you told asked me this before because i have to really <laughs> I, I was going to but i was kind of hoping for a more impulsive answer i think i've achieved that i'm trying to i'm trying to look for my my little admiral admiral book where i, I did illustrations of every admiral shirt i could find i think um <laughs> I think you've got to go for Coventry, Coventry uh-huh. home. I'm not going to go down the old brown away kit, isn't it awful route? I think the Coventry home, yeah. with that, that, that the tram lines, the three colours, you know, the introduction of a third colour, very important as well mm-hmm. to kids at that time. I think that's got to be there. West Ham, definitely. West Ham home, that's got to be there as well. I think mm-hmm. for, you know, just a really, really good looking, good looking shirt. Um, the Wales tram line is certainly a contender, but we've already got a tram line shirt in there. So I don't know. Would it be maybe it'd have to be a Leeds one, Chris? I think just a to Leeds give one? them, you know, as as a, as the pioneer, that would have to go. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. What, what about I mean, you? Um, what, what what would you think? Well, I just before we go on, I just want to say that the, the look of sheer shock and terror when I put that question to him, you see, the look of fear in his eyes, like. <laughs> What are you asking me this question for? I have no answer for this question. Um, sorry to throw that on you there, John. Um, well, I mean, I, I mean, I suppose as a West Ham fan, I'd, I'd kind of go for the West Ham one because um, although there were a few other teams that had the chevrons, it was, <clears throat> excuse me, not necessarily done on a sort of contrasting coloured yoke. So, I mean, that's... You're sorry, right. And they were, generally away, they were generally away kits as well, weren't they, the chevrons? I think other teams yes. wore them as away kits more. So, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So, I, I mean, being biased, but I think I'd probably go for, for West Ham's home kit of the late 70s for that. Um, yeah. I was going to go for Wales and their home kit for, for, for my tram lines choice, even though the Coventry okay. kits were fantastic. I love the use of red, yellow and green on, yes. the, on the home kit that they had. It was just wonderful. I mean... Perfect, just reeks it? of the seventies for me. It's just I just think it's wonderful. Um, and I was sort of probably going to go for um, something sort of predictable and conventional. But I, in, in looking at your website earlier on, John TrueColorsFootballKits.com, um, and an article that you did uh, some time ago now, um, there mm. are others there that I'd completely overlooked, and one that I really love. Um, it's just so distinctive to my mind is the Sheffield United away kit, 75 to 77, which was fundamentally white shirts, white shorts, red socks, but the white shirt had two red diagonal bands, sashes, if yeah. you like, going across the shirt in a kind of left-to-right fashion, whereas, if, like to say, Crystal Palace, it sort of tends to go sort of... Um, so, sorry, left-to-right, top-left-to-bottom-right, if that makes sense, where it's usually yeah. the other way around. And every time I see a picture of that kit in my kind of um, research that I do for various things, it just makes me smile, that shirt. And I think it's, it's, 
I don't know why, because there's been so many kits in the in over the years that that have had diagonal sashes and things, but a double diagonal sash in yes. red with a little flank of of black on both. I just think that's that's just a joy. I think I definitely had to have that as my third one actually. Do you know when you say that I'm I'm getting Tony Curry in my head? Is that would that be right? Was he at the yeah? At the that, that, at the time? About, that's right. Yes, I think he was. Yeah, I can I kind of uh, picture that. Yeah, and I think I think Stoke wore something similar. And I'm not sure yep. whether Ad- Umbro introduced that or Admiral. There's, there's, oh, I think that was Umbro, little, yeah. Because they kind of copied, and Admiral just kind of like rebadged it almost, didn't they? It was that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a really good call, that one. And of course, the, the Sheffield United one is interesting because of its colour choices, because essentially the colour kind of proportions wasn't a million miles away from the, the home kit, really, was that's it? That's right. Very nice, good, yes. Good choice, yeah. No, good choice. Yeah, the, the, I'm just sorry. I was just going to say, I was just looking actually. The uh, the Stoke City kit that you mentioned, the the uh, stripes, the diagonal stripes go in the same direction. But uh, yes, it was made by Umbro, and it was red, black, and red. So it was a triple diagonal sash actually. So on the, okay, so, but but quite similar in many ways. Yeah. But of course, again, you, you know, looking at the sash, I, mean, I think the sashes are. It's big at the moment again, Chris, isn't it? There's sashes everywhere, yeah. and you know that's arguably. Would you say the the you know the one seventies football kit design element that's you know ubiquitous to it to the decade? Yeah, well, absolutely. And and um, I was really quite pleased when recently, uh, maybe I don't know, three four years ago or something, um, all the diagonal sashes started to come out. Unfortunately, I think dare I say it's it's the become sort of victim in the victim of its own success in that now in some ways it's become a bit overexposed and we're seeing it quite a lot and, and although I don't mind diagonal sashes as such it's like anything when it's kind of a bit overdone you start thinking oh yeah. can we have something else maybe now I think I predicted <laughs> yeah. last year on one of our podcasts that um, this this season will be the one where we get half and half shirts cropping up a lot and um, unfortunately that didn't turn out to be correct which shows how much I know uh, wow. I probably didn't foresee the, the longevity of the diagonal sash in the modern yeah. era I must admit, it's lasted more than I thought. But again, mm. going back to what I said about managers, and that was a Malcolm Allison thing, I believe, when mm. he was at Man City. When he brought in, yep. you know, Man City had four kits. They had the, the blue, <laughs> the red and black, you know, the old-fashioned traditional away kit, I guess. Yep. And then these, the, the white and the um, the royal blue. And, of course, it was Allison that brought in at Palace, who are arguably the most famous sash shirts, would you say, from the 70s? Yeah. Crystal yeah, Palace. Yeah. Definitely, um, but yeah, it is. And then Man City brought them back again, didn't they? Later in the decade, under mm-hmm. under Umbro. But it's uh, yeah, it just shows again the manager's input, I think. But yeah, I know what you mean about seventies. When I'm, I I don't mind a bit of a retro feel, but I always think kids should be moving forward. I yeah, don't absolutely. Think yeah, backwards is always a good idea, and, and you can get stuck in that stuck in the past a bit, can't you? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's it's easy He's, to. He says, I, I <laughs> Doing what we do, talking about stuck in the past. I yeah, realise the hypocrisy of that statement, but <laughs> don't think I didn't spot the irony in that statement. <laughs> um, a little bit of retro every once in a while is fine, but it's like the current thing. I'm, I know we're going a bit off topic and we're going a bit kind of um, contemporary and everything, but um, I was just saying to somebody on on Twitter just the other day about the current fascination with pinstripes. Same thing again. This this pinstripes yeah. are still hanging around. Um, but anyway, I digress. Mm. We're moving off topic, but. Um, As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. 
Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Anyway, getting into the latter part of the 70s, there was a bit of a boom going on across the pond, as they say, over in the US. Um, NASL, uh, North American Soccer League, was kind of taking off. And that was a big deal. Um, Just um, uh, finally, the US got its own professional league as it were and um, mm. I think it was started back in about 67-ish and um, really peaked in 1975 when Pele signed for the New York Cosmos and suddenly oh, course, yeah. every big star was going over there and lots of um, British players as well um, there was this strange kind of scenario that you had in the late 70s where players were in the, in the uh, football league were playing sort of half a season in the UK and or maybe during the summer break were going hot-footing it over to the US and playing over there for a while. That's right, and, yeah. And 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 club like Trevor Francis was one and and you know there was stories of you know Man City sort of saying and when are you coming back have have you not finished the season or you said you were going to come <laughs> back you know <laughs> we don't mind you going over and playing a few games but how long are you going to be there for and there was all that kind of thing going on but it was a fascinating time and not least from the point of view of, uh, of the football kits that they had over there. I don't know, John, how, how sort of familiar are you with NASL and what's your view of, of that period when suddenly it was almost like the focus on British football was somewhat distracted. Everyone was suddenly going, oh, we need to be kind of watching what's going on over there. What was your take yeah. on that? Well, do, do you know what? I'd love to bluff my way through this, but I, I'm a very honest chap and I know very little <laughs> about that period, I have to say. I've always mm-hmm. been very focused... On, on British football, I guess more. So I think I get I get really excited looking back at continental kits now. But certainly mm. with America, I, I, there's, I have got a gap in my, gap in my sort of knowledge with that. Although funny enough, I do. We actually went on holiday to Florida when I was ten in 1980, mm. and that's my always my view of American football. I was never very good at football when I was at school and yet when yeah. I went to America and I played with these kids they all thought I was the next George Best they thought I was brilliant <laughs> and it's a bit like Superman when he comes down from Krypton to Earth you know he's treated yeah. as a god it was a bit like yeah. that when I went over yeah, to yeah. America <laughs> I guess it just showed the level of without being patronising what American football you know US football was like I think because yeah. um, Admiral really pounced on it didn't they I think I think yeah, Adidas produced a lot of the early kits out oh there. absolutely and, and, yeah and, and some really innovative designs that we never saw over here um yeah. I've, got, I've got vague memories of half and half shorts is that right and and different oh, applications of the the logo and yeah yeah all that was going on absolutely yeah, yeah. um interestingly um like in the when nasl first started in the late 60s 
if you see some of the kits that were being worn then, they were not dissimilar to what you'd have seen in the English Football League or Scotland or whatever in, in the UK. Very similar kits, except mm. that one or two Maverick teams were wearing, and when we come back to this again, we come full circle, um, numbers on the front of the shirts rather than on the back. But that was just, that. even yeah. that was in sort of certain isolated cases. And then you get into the early 70s, and what you see then is that the teams were really looking to stamp their own identity, not only from the point of view of their own club on US soccer, but also as, as a national sport. They were just mm. really just freestyling. And, and the kits that you saw then, there were so many different variations on a theme. Like some teams would have um, a, the name of their team on the front of the shirt. Some yes. would have the name of their team and a number on the front of the shirt. Some would have numbers on the sleeves, which you mentioned a moment ago with Man City and so on. Um, some of them had the name of the player on the back of the shirt, which, of course, we didn't see until, I don't know, which World Cup that was, 94, would it, that would have been, the first World Cup, where, it, from a UK p- point of view, pl- player yeah. names on the back of the shirts. Because I think 1992, the Euro 92, was the first time we saw names on a major That's tournament, right. I think. So, yeah. You're quite right. Yes, yeah. Um, so they were doing all of that um, <clears throat> way ahead of the uh, the UK, and and um, uh, I guess if you're talking about shirt sponsorship, which didn't arrive in UK until seventy nine, that'd be about right. Liverpool yes, and yeah. Itachi and all that kind of thing. I mean, yeah, all right, they didn't have level. yeah, um, they didn't have shirt sponsorship in the US, but they had maybe the logo of their team emblazoned yes. across the front, which must have sown a few seeds. Um, you know, in in the UK and in perhaps on in continental Europe as well, sort of what was possible you, that you could have something else on on a shirt across That's the chest. Right. I think I think you're right. I think, and again, I, I often quote this: you look at modern fashion now, where you know Superdry is the biggest example. Well, everyone's wearing super dry. When I came back from holiday, I thought there was some kind of law had been passed that we had to wear super dry in this country because <laughs> everyone seemed to have them. I thought, oh, God. Yeah. But it's that kind of mentality that, yeah, you, your shirt looks almost bare without something emblazoned across the front. And yeah. I think you're looking at sponsorship and you're looking at, arguably, American football to an extent for that for that happening. Because you're quite right. You look at the, the, the um, Tampa Bay Rowdies, you know, one of the mm-hmm. biggest ones that I remember for having the sheer, massive, American, glamorous logo on it. And, of course, <clears throat> excuse me, I guess at the time in England, we were a little bit more restrained. It was that kind of, <laughs> you know, how Americans see us Brits. We're quite, you know, stiff upper mm-hmm. lip and all that restrainedness. <laughs> but it was, the, the, the difference was very clear. And, of course, one of the ones I, I often think about, and I think it was, was it Colorado? With, uh, we, we're going to go full circle again. With tassels on their shirts. Do you remember that one? <laughs> yes, the Colorado Caribous. That's the it. you were looking for. 1978, and they, and they had tassels. <laughs> and there you go, we're back to tassels on the bottom again, aren't we? That's, you know, what, what on earth was happening there? But it was it was definitely this this period of glamour, wasn't it? And flam- yeah. being flamboyant on the pitch. See, the thing for me was, I when I was about nine years old, in which would have been 1980, I got this book called The Encyclopedia of World Soccer. And right. it had in the back a section called something like 40 top clubs in the world or something. And it was basically a little um, profile uh, where they would list... Um, all the honours that each club has, has won over the years, the name of the manager, name of the captain, um, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And uh, above each of the chosen teams, there was a little 
diagram of a football player wearing that team's kit. And there was lots of all your big name sort of teams like Juventus, Real Madrid, Manchester United mm. and so on. But rather um, sort of, uh, I'm not sure what the word is, like topically, I suppose, they actually had a few... Um, uh, NASL teams in there which I think if you're talking really? about 40 greatest teams I think they were just putting <laughs> yeah. that in for a bit of balance and, and stuff yeah, but, um, yeah. and, and also in, in the centre pages they had a feature on football in the US and they had a big map of the US and all the club badges were all dotted around and I, it was just like football on another planet and that's how I got into it's NASL yeah, it's almost an alternate universe because I, I would mm. I would say that American NASL fashion didn't feed back into Britain, did it? It didn't. It didn't no. come back into us. I think it was not directly. It's almost like, um, yeah, it's like their take on what was going on, and they got it. You know, arguably, well, no, maybe that's not true. I was gonna say, arguably, they got it. They got it a little bit askew, but of course, no, that's what was going on in America at the time. It mm. was the fashions yeah. again was slightly different maybe to what we had here there wasn't that great crossover but i think it didn't feed back in i think the the common factor was this idea of uh, graphics on the front of, of previously plain shirts that's the biggest kind of common common ground yeah but um yeah no it's funny looking it is funny looking back on that but it is mm. an area i don't i haven't got a huge amount of knowledge about i think even then i looked and i thought Shuh. You know, gimmicky nonsense. I'm not going to tassels. What the hell's going on? <laughs> Even at I'm nine ple- or ten, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm pleased to say it wasn't all tassels. Um, but, um, <laughs> but you was the pity, eh? <laughs> yes, we need more tassels in football. Um, you were quite right, though. Adidas were without question the the big team uh, that were providing kits for. I would say probably of all yeah. the teams that ever played in the NASL over a sort of 20-year period, they must have provided kits for about 60% of all the teams that played, at least, so, if not 70 or 80. Um, certainly although, at the beginning, I think, Chris. Yeah, I think yeah, I think yeah. Admiral pounced, because Admiral kind of effectively um, gazumped um, Umbro, didn't they, in the UK? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I would suggest they gazumped Adidas out in the States, and, and uh, they seemed to really... Um, take that over so mm. yeah i think adidas first and maybe admiral would that be right do you reckon yeah admiral got there in uh, 77 and they had a number of teams quite a few teams actually they pr- provided the kit for and i think again it was that burt patrick sort of um, um ability to sort of spot a, a, a an opening really a chance to kind of get his foot in the door and, and went over there yeah. and started sort of schmoozing with some of the the, the people at the, at the various clubs they had um kit they made kit for Connecticut Bicentennials, Detroit Express, Memphis Rogues, Minnesota Kicks, lots and lots of different um, clubs wow. they made for. But it, Umbro weren't out of the picture completely. They did do a few oh, okay. kits for teams like Denver Dynamos and Dallas Tornado and people like that. So they were there, but in, on a much lower, they had a much lower profile, let's say. Um, it was definitely right. Admiral that, that got there first and, and stamped their mark on it. Um, I was going to say, it reminds me, and I know you're a great lover of, of shoot and match from, from back mm. in the day as well. That's what I, I've got memories of full page ads <laughs> with, with nothing but NASL Admiral shirts in. Yeah. Do you remember those? Absolutely. And I think, so even, you know, uh, New York Cosmos, Vancouver White, I'm, I'm just looking now, I'm having to refresh mm. my memory. They did loads. They even had a couple of tram lines out there as well. I, I they did. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I also vividly remember those adverts in, in Shoot, uh, you know, California Surf, all these amazingly exotic yeah, team right. names. And and it's just some there are some absolutely delightful 
football shirt, not just Admiral, but all you know the Adidas designs and so on. If you want to get a good snapshot of some of the, the kits and the shirts that are out there, there is a website I thoroughly advise you listeners to, oh. to go and visit, nasljerseys.com. Um, somebody there, I'm not sure who, um, somebody has taken a lot of time and effort and love to put together lots of different photographs and imagery for each team that ever played in the NASL. And you can see so many great pictures of the fabulous, fabulous kits. And I, and I say fabulous, uh, they weren't necessarily innovative designs necessarily, but they looked modern compared to what England had at the time at club level. And that's what I think really makes me excited when I see those kits. They are, they're sort of like UK football kits, but with a sort of, large spoonful of pizzazz Hollywood yeah. pizzazz sort of thrown in excellent oh, I'll, I'll be I'll be right on that Chris actually when we're finished you'll be, you'll really be on that the rest of the weekend you <laughs> may you may just have kind of started a love of NASL shirts for me here let's see let's well, see oh, there, was a, there was an Umbro one out there actually they did yes. Tampa Bay Rowdies briefly oh, oh no yeah, I can't um, I'll, I'll lose focus on what we're doing so <laughs> There's a there's a kit. Um, they one team they did a kit for was uh, the. <laughs> I, I have to laugh. It just sounds at odds with my English sensibilities. But the New England T Men, um, <laughs> Umbro did a kit for them from 1978 to 1980. And there's a picture of. I'm not sure if it was the in the Umbro kit that they provided, but there's a guy. I think he used to play for Charlton Athletic called Mike Flanagan, and he oh, briefly played yes. in one of the the, the UK army that went over there and, and played there and he played for the new england team and there's a picture on that website that i just mentioned and he's wearing the new england team men kit and i i really love it because it's got a big yeah. red sort of t on the front on, on a yellow shirt almost a bit kind of vaguely like the the big talbot logo that they had on the coventry kit but not as commercialized but it was like a big t shape on the front of the shirts and there was some lovely invention on a, on a lot of those nasl That's... jerseys they're wonderful do you know? I, I do urge any everyone to to Google this as soon as you can because yeah, I've never seen this before. Mm. It is incredible. It, it's got it's got the number, hasn't it? It's got the, the shirt number kind of midway down, almost yep. like you know discreetly placed, ridiculous <laughs> position. Really, it's got a number of logo that hasn't been reversed out, so it looks it's like red on red kind of style. It's it's yeah. bizarre, but it's it's really quite um how unusual. It's like it yeah, like a distant cousin, isn't it, of Ameri- of English football? It's very strange. <laughs> yes. Oh, fantastic! Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's just that's that's going to be the whole of your next week written off, folks. If you go to that website, it's <laughs> wonderful. Whoever's done that, congratulations to you for doing that. Um, so, but it but it kind of gives you a an interesting juxtaposition if you're looking from a UK perspective of what was going on in the UK and what America were having. And it also provides a bit of a an interesting comparison also with continental Europe because we were mentioning kind of elements on shirts like numbers and uh, mm. team names and stuff like that, sponsors, logos. And just, I mean, in, the, in this last section, really, before we have to wrap up, um, I mean, John, uh, something I discovered in the last few years was that if you... I, I had to do some research to do uh, some illustrations of the French national team kit over the last 50 mm. years. I did that a few years ago. And the one thing I discovered at that point was that um, France had, the French national team had an Adidas kit in 1972 with, you know, Adidas stripes on and everything. And it, that really threw me because I assumed, being English, that um, you didn't really see that kind of thing going on certainly with English club kits you didn't see the Adidas logo sorry the Mm. Adidas stripes until about 77 I think there were a number of teams 
Birmingham Forest, mm. Ipswich, and so on. But France had a, a, a recognisable Adidas kit in '72. Similarly, I did some research recently on Borussia Dortmund, and they had also uh, around about '71, '72. You can see on one kit they had on their black shorts, there was the three. Um, what, there were three white stripes for Adidas, and the the white stripes were actually flanked with a thinner yellow um, stripe, around, which is like really sort of almost like 1980s style. Yeah, and that was back definitely. in about 1971-72. So suddenly you think, wow, we were in the UK. We were really late to the party in terms of getting on board with Adidas because they were definitely the prevailing um, and upcoming brand for football kits in in the UK. <sighs> Um, and I and at a stroke, I think unfortunately made Admiral stuff look a bit old-fashioned, dare I say it. But um, but we seem to be well behind Europe. Yeah, well, it, the Adidas thing crops up again with, with taping, which is of course the, the the stripes down the sleeves, and of course Umbra had it with their double diamond, um, Admiral with their logos. But really, that was a almost an, an innovation, possibly you could say, from Adidas with their trademark three stripes which is as important to their brand as their logo is so it's really cunning bit of um, branding and promotional kind of nails there that they do that but yeah i didn't realize that because that that kind of confuses me a bit because i I, um adidas didn't really want to get that involved with apparel as you say until later in that decade Mm. and i think they had that relationship with umbro whereby adidas were firmly all about boots and had Umbro all about clothing, and they were kind of like they were partners, weren't they? I think at the time. Yes. Yeah. And I think from from the le- how the legend goes, um, and Shaky will maybe clarify this. In the late seventies, Umbro almost kind of gave them a couple of their contracts, and sort yes. of you know, being um, Birmingham, Fulham, uh, Ipswich, they kind of you know, and Adidas took those over. So the fact that Adidas had dipped their toe in the water that early on was a, is a surprise to me. But I didn't, mm. yeah, I wasn't aware of that. Well, yeah, and also not only that, but you sort of think, oh, you know, um, Adidas, you know, um, you'd be mistaken for thinking that Adidas kits weren't around until about 77. If you go back to the see footage of the 74 World Cup, about 80 to 90 percent of the teams are wearing Adidas kits. So actually it it was a kind of well-known thing. It's just you forget sometimes that actually they've been around a bit longer than you think. Yeah, and I I think funnily, I do... You know, when it comes to my my kit kind of obsession, I'm a little bit UK UK centric, I guess. Mm. And it, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think with the the Birmingham Ipswich thing, I think that was Adidas maybe getting into the UK football shirt market rather than mm. in general, because yes. as you quite rightly say, '74 was all over it. I mean, that's the the Cruyff final with the the, uh, the Cruyff tournaments with the stripe removed, wasn't it? So <laughs> yes, Adidas were, were massively around then. I think it was really in the UK that they're. They wanted to make real inroads into uh, British football shirts at the time. Yeah, yeah but so so they did. The French shirt have the logo on as well. Did yeah, um, just only the Trefoil. They didn't have the word Adidas initially, but okay. uh, that came along later. But um, yeah, and the same can be said. I'm sure this was the case probably in, in many parts of continental Europe yeah. at the time. Um, certainly in France and West Germany, if not, um, I'm, I'm, I think probably countries like Italy and Spain would have been a little bit sort of. Um, hesitant well, first homemade, to get on board maybe. with Adidas yeah yeah they're yeah. going for their own sort of brands and things but um but yeah so no, Holland Holland as well were another one but of course mm-hmm. I think in 74 in the World Cup finals there were no uh Trefoil logos on there but that's that's mm. arguably a FIFA rule no yeah no branding on the shirts I guess which is why Adidas was so cunning because they said mm. well no branding on the shirts but we've got three stripes going down the side and, and you know, we all know who that, that is yeah. so it's it's 
yeah, it yeah. dominates what they what they did. But again, something that's no more seventies than than taping, is it? Sleeves stripes yeah. down the sleeve. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's a remarkable actually when you when you watch the seventy four World Cup on YouTube and the, the the number of teams that were wearing Adidas kit and it looks so modern that for its era, like um, yeah. Yugoslavia, Zaire. This. I mean, this yeah, goes on and on. And and especially when you see like um, there's one match I think that Scotland played Yugoslavia and. Um, Scotland are wearing this what seemed to be at the time like a very old fashioned probably an Umbro kit I'm guessing with a kind of triangular I think it had a triangular yeah. little in, in panel under the neck and then you got Yugoslavia wearing this sleek kind of all white kit with, with I think it was all white anyway with, with the three stripes down the sleeves and it just looks like two different eras on the same pitch as far as the styling is concerned it's, it's quite jarring actually I'll have to check that out again. I think, again, we're, we're back to what we talked about at the beginning. It's innovation, isn't it? It's mm. a decade where, you know, arguably things really, you, you know, you really had to keep up with what other companies were doing. So you had to follow for fear of being yeah. left behind completely. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of uh, yeah, a lot of innovation. Interesting stuff. I think I might have got the two teams mixed up. I've got their home and away kits mixed up. But the point I'm making is at least that there were different styles. I think it might have been Yugoslavia in blue and Scotland in white or mm. something like that. But you can see the comparison in styles and, and just Adidas, just Adidas with three stripes. Just It just looks so much more sort of understated and stylish than, dare I say, the, the likes of the Admiral tape, although it was fine for the era that it was born in. But... Um, um, yeah, and and also obviously on the content they were going for big sponsors logos, I massive sponsors yeah. logos. Um, but um, anyway, I mean, I think we've gone all the way down memory lane from the start of the seventies to the very end. We've sort of stopped off at um, at Admiral and NASL and sock tags and all sorts be- uh, besides. And uh, it's probably time now, John, for us to put our tassels away and um, and call this podcast closed. <laughs> um, um, just want to uh, basically give you some uh, details, essentially, of uh, how you can join in the conversation. If you want to send uh, your views to Jay and talk about uh, football kit design in the 70s, you uh, certainly can do. Basically, you need to go along to designfootball.com. That's where you can uh, find all the links pointing to this podcast and all the others. Um, and you can also follow uh, Design Football on Twitter. Search for designfootball.com on Twitter and Facebook. Follow your nose. You'll, you'll get to all the relevant stations uh, as, uh, you, as you see fit. Um, and uh, as I say, this podcast is also available via acast.com forward slash the design football podcast. Um, but um, but uh, yeah, drop Jay a line if you can and uh, let him know your, your views and all that. Um, similarly, um, you can talk to me and John if you're really that desperate. Um, you can find us on uh, Twitter as well. John's on Twitter mm. at, at True Colors Kits. And uh, you're also strongly advised to visit his website as well, truecoloursfootballkits.com. You'll find his wonderful website there full of fantastic imagery and illustrations of football kits from the past and indeed the present. Um, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do at, um, at Chris Oakley, uh, C-H-R-I-S-O-A-K-L-E-Y. And uh, my website, should you want to visit it, is um, called Kitbliss, and you can find that at kitbliss.co.nz. Um, it's a little project that I've uh, had going for a while there. Similar sort of thing, football kit illustrations, and so on. Um, so that's how you can get in touch with us. Um, but, John, I think that's pretty much it. It's, we're out of time, but it's been an absolute joy talking to you oh, and uh, reminiscing in, in this way. It's been brilliant, Chris. I've really enjoyed it, and it's, it's great to... Um you know become totally immersed in a specific area of, of kit design brilliant absolutely yeah keep the memories alive and all that that's what it's all about and uh 
Listeners, thank you very much indeed for your time and uh, thank you for having me on this podcast, Jay. And um, until next time, from the two of us, John and myself, it's goodbye to you all. Goodbye. Thank you, Chris. Bye. Goodbye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.